Hello and welcome to Date Your Ego, Marry Your Soul podcast. I'm your host, Serafina, and I am an ego and soul enthusiast. We can no longer be strangers to our egos and how they function. So come and join me as we find out why and how this philosophy of dating your ego but marrying your soul is true and useful for you. Breathe right, think right, live right. Now, when it comes to birth, we have all prepared ourselves, or rather braced ourselves for the worst time in the hospital, but the best time after. The hospital bit somehow seems to be a mystery, something totally out of our control. And we all put up a brave front and do our best. However, Here is a wise teacher of ecstatic birthing who wants us to know of another way of giving birth, an orgasmic way. Yep, you heard it right. (laughs) If you're intrigued, stay tuned. She also does something very, very simple. She teaches you how to think about your breath so you can think about your life in a better way with a master of ecstatic living, breathing, and birthing, Binny A. Dansby. Binny, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, and really happy to be with you. Oh, I'm honored. Thank you. Binny, I am in awe of depth and breadth of your work, and I really feel inspired to share your philosophy with the world. Uh, Could we begin by talking about what is source process and breath work? (laughs) Well, it's um, source process and breath work has evolved over the years. The name coming from um, mother source, uh, the universal source, it's, it's a philosophy, it's a practice. A spiritual practice, and it's a system that I've created um, to relieve stress uh, patterns in the body and in our thought system. So I use the breath as an integrative tool, mainly for supporting identifying very, very deeply held negative decisions that we made when we took our first breath, that source breath, and that we, that really influence us all through our lives. The, the philosophy is based on the fact that we are conscious, uh, making decisions not sophisticated necessarily but definitely decisions both mentally and somatically from conception through all of our lives but especially the the source of i think the patterns in our lives and our most fundamental beliefs uh held in the subconscious are in the, like I said, conception to two years old for our first 1,000, 1,001 days. Amongst all of the philosophers, teachers, healers, uh, therapists I have met, you were the first one to ask me, how was your birth? (laughs) (laughs) And I really want the audience to capture this element of you because it is so unique can we talk about why how we come in is so important oh my goodness well the truth is you know as i mentioned we are uh we are sensory beings we hear we are educable in the womb we're learning we're making conscious and not, not, as I said, sophisticated decisions, 
but we're part of mother's thought system, not just a part of her physical system. You know, when mother is happy, we're flooded with lovely hormones. When mother is not happy, we are also flooded with those hormones. I think most people do not realize that the only active parts of the physical body inside mother um, before birth are the heart, the brain, and the nervous system. Mm-hmm. All other systems are taken care of by, by the placenta. And uh, we can hear, for instance, we can hear what's going on around mother. So there's huge influence prenatally. And then our first encounter with um, the, the world as we know, it's like landing on a, another planet. We have been water mammals, and we are a water mammal until we take that first breath. So it's exceedingly significant, the first breath, because I think we take in the consciousness around us. Not just, not just the air, heavenly days, no. We take in the the energies all around us and very often in high-tech situations there's a lot of fear we are encountering sensory experience that we've never ever had before we've been in water we've been you know coming and encountering soft surface and suddenly there is a drop in temperature because it's hot in there, <laughs> really hot in there. Uh, and so we come into a room, unless we come into warm water, we come into a room that's the right temperature for people who are dry and wearing clothes. Mm. At the same time, as that temperature is dropping, has dropped, we encounter sound because water in the in the ears causes sound to be very different than when the water rushes out and very very often because people are afraid that we're not going to breathe which is i think pretty insane since man has been taking a breath <laughs> for eons you know they shake us or rub us or all of those things are hugely intrusive on a being that really needs to take its time. The rhythm of a newborn is really different. But anyway, the the whole story of sensory overload is temperature, sound, um, uh, touch, and then they cut the umbilical cord. The umbilical cord uh, is so often cut immediately, leaving one-third of our blood inside mother in the placenta. So the body has to really gear. Now, when we took take the first breath we cause <laughs> so i'm ex- freezing uh gravity is is pressure on me i've uh, i'm i'm hearing sounds i've never heard before and i am startled into taking a breath and i take in 3 to 4 times more oxygen than i've ever experienced before that sets off valves closing, other ones opening. The blood flow completely changes in my body. And now my major organs have to come online because they've cut me off from my supply. They've cut me off from the only body and mind I've ever known. And most, very, very often, they've taken me over to a little table to scrub me up and 
poke me and see if what's wrong with me. It's torture of an innocent, I think. Frederick Leboyer called it that in his book, Birth Without Violence. Prescott in the 1960s did uh, research at the National Institutes of Health in the United States. And he said the, uh, the origins of violence are right there in the delivery room. And we still don't pay attention to that. It's why I've been advocating for gentle, conscious birth for 35 years. Since, be- since before, well, actually for 50 years, my youngest, my, my ecstatic birth, my orgasmic birth was uh, 50 years ago last December. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I learned in my body that it is possible mm. uh, to have, even in a hospital. And, uh, and then, of course, I mean, as you know, I worked with the couple who had the first water birth in the United States in 1980. And uh, we prepared for that birth. Just as I prepared for my son's birth, I, I, after giving birth to his brother two years before, when I came out of the hospital, I said, there's got to be a better way or I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. I had been paying attention to my design career and my singing career before that. I had I'd been, I'd, I had never held a baby younger than six months old when they handed me my baby boy and I was shocked (laughs) but um, his birth was shocking and when we left the hospital I said I'm gonna find a better way or I'm not doing that again Mm. so it seems like the reason the reason how we come in is so important is because it's our beginning so to speak the child's beginning and it's also well, if it's the first child, the woman's beginning as a mother, isn't it? And together, they're sort of beginning this cycle of love and vibrational energy that's going to go out into the world. And so that's very important. Um, So it, it determines what choices we make about the birth. I will come back to this later because I do want to talk a bit about how what we want doesn't happen necessarily. And we will. The thing that the thing that is important to always remember is that the consciousness at the birth is the what's the most important. Yes, we carry you see, we carry these memories in our bodies. I mean, I've been so happy in the in the last few years that there has been more and more consciousness about the trauma held deep in the cellular structure mm-hmm. and all of the work with PTSD. But I think every person who has gone through a modern high-tech birth in a hospital has PTSD at some form or another. We carry the memory of everything that's ever happened to us in the mammalian brain, in the in the um, what's called the emotional brain. And that part of the brain does not have language. The body is the language. That's that's the subconscious. And we remember it all and can access it. That's what source, process, and breath work is about. (laughs) It's depth work. And so would you say that at birth, that beginning is where our egos begin? Yes, and... I think the ego that most people refer to, and I love the title of this, of your work. I just love it. Oh, thank you. Um, because it's, it's so descriptive. You see, I think that I call what happens at birth is the development of the protective ego. Mm. You see, I think with a body, and feelings 
you know, sensation is about having a body, feelings, having a body. And the ego is necessary. The ego is a part of that being physical. But it's supposed to be the servant, Mm -hmm. not the one who runs the show. But, and if I've been born in the way, and, and this I've discovered over time with my clients, and I've been doing this work since 1976, it's a long time, and, uh, and then working for 30 years with large groups, training groups, and um, I began to hear my clients saying very specific things that were repeated over and over and it didn't matter whether it was I lived in Los Angeles and uh, whether it was a film producer or um, a dancer or an actress or a writer or a mom it didn't matter who it was it's like when they would begin to breathe and access those deeper levels they would begin to express very similar things. And those are, um, it's not safe to be in a body. Hmm. There's no one here for me. There's no support. Uh, It hurts to feel, and I don't have choice about it. Now, that's the protective ego must keep me safe. Hmm. Because in the essence of being, the essence of, I think, everyone is innocence, purity, light, love. You look into the eyes of your infant or any newborn, you will see only wonder and love. Mm. That's it. That's the essence of being. Now, the protective ego comes up, not safe, no one here for me, have to do this all by myself. So I call those the archetypal negatives, and uh, there's a whole list of them for each one of the chakras. But anyway, so I think that the ego, personally, I believe that the ego is necessary but not as the boss, Mm -hmm. uh, but as the one that gets me up and takes me out every day, you know? Mm -hmm. If I didn't have an ego, I wouldn't be here with you right now. Yeah, I wouldn't be having this interview. Exactly. (laughs) Um, You said some very interesting things, and I am going to bring them up later, but I I did want to mention at this point, even if a mother, after giving birth, has PTSD, I find in today's society, people have very little time for her to express, to repair, to, um, you know, so I feel like that's the reason what you do is so important because it's not just the women, it's everyone around them, the midwives, the husbands, the family at large, everyone needs to hear about this stuff so that as groups of human beings, we can actually fully heal from our respective births. Absolutely. Everyone is triggered by birth. This is why the people in the hospital have to have all these protocols, because if they didn't, their emotions would just overwhelm them. It's exceedingly important, for instance, you know, that I work with the breath. I work with accessing and feeling more and more comfortable with higher and higher levels of energy. And this is, you know, if you and I had had a, well, we've, you know, we've got a lot to discuss about the work, the little bit of work that we were able to do together, because I'm, I feel like I'm really on it again about birth and I may just start teaching my birth preparation program again. Okay. I'm feeling really, really strongly about so many of the births I'm hearing about. I've worked so much with women who have had extreme experiences that were absolutely not necessary. 
Well, I can't wait to get to that part. <laughs> I, I do want to first touch upon archetypal affirmations. <laughs> a very special part of your system of teaching. And for me personally, having had the privilege and experience of working with them every day, they seem to be a way to refine our ego's experience and connect us with our souls. I would really like it if you could tell our audience what they are and how these affirmations might interact with them and refine their life. Well, it's, uh, that's, you know, the, the, the essence, one essence purpose of source process and breathwork is to integrate the archetypal affirmations as a counter to the archetypal negatives. Uh, because I don't think that we have to go looking for what's wrong. The archetypal affirmations are designed to bring to the surface anything in your consciousness that's unlike them so that you can make a choice. Because we're walking around with certain thought forms about how life is that we're not even aware of. They are at the subconscious level. So, you know, it's like you'll find, you you know, you'll say, I want to have this be this way. And, and you prepare for something to be a certain way. And it ends up another way. Or you end up doing something else. And why am I doing that? Or why am I saying that when I wanted to express this? Mm. Because there's a whole other level that's operational. And so if I just, in essence, support you to acknowledge that your body is safe, no matter how you might be feeling, it's highly likely that the thought, now that's not true. If I go down, you know, and this whole conversation goes on about how your body's not safe and what you want to do is listen to that so archetypal affirmations are points of contemplation they are my body is safe no matter how i might be feeling it's true the body is a communications device actually if there is a pain it's not an attack it's not that my body's not safe. It's my body's communicating with me. If I affirm and integrate the thought that my body is safe, I literally will not put myself in dangerous situations in order to prove my mind right. So my body is safe no matter how it might be feeling is the fundamental archetypal for the root chakra. The second one is I'm surrounded by love and support from all the divine beings in my life. Mm -hmm. It's just wholly essential. I um, also, everything and everyone in physical form is here to support me in physical form. That's not the ego speaking. That is the truth. Everything is either attack or support, and that depends on our perception of it. That is so true. So true. So that's the second chakra. The color is orange. The third is the solar plexus, and that is all of my feelings are safe. All of the sensations in my physical body are absolutely safe. It's energy registering. And I choose how I express and use my energy. I can have an explosion in my solar plexus and I can say, I'm angry, I'm angry, or I'm terrified, I'm terrified. Or I can say, oh my God, something wonderful is about to happen. Same sensations. I was just going to say, when you, when you spoke about same sensation, um, we're not aware, are we? We've already decided a certain feeling means negative and a certain feeling means positive. Exactly. Right. Okay. 
we can change our minds. We can, yes. And you're going to help us do it. The, our true power, power is not about energy. Power is about choice of how to use that energy. Hmm. Now, if you're still identifying certain sensations in your body the way you did when you were two years old or when you were born, which many people are, then, you know, it's like I'll have a sensation in my body and say, oh, my God, you know, I'm really, really angry. Well, what if that is actually the explosion before you got separated from your mother? Or when they were doing all these things to you and your body was in total chaos. And you felt helpless, hopeless, and powerless. If you can breathe, allow yourself to feel those feelings, you can use that energy for, I have a choice here now. What do I want to do? What is it that I choose to express that's going to move me forward. Mm. Now that takes practice and it takes time. It takes energy, but it absolutely can happen very quickly if you do the work. Mm. Human consciousness needs consistency, just like babies. Mm. (laughs) And it also strikes me as something that unless you are told about it or made aware, they are subconscious patterns, really. They're not hanging... I mean, the effects are quite obvious in the way you're reacting to things. However, because you're not aware, you don't know where they come from. And you don't know why you should heal them and how that would have an impact on your life. You're just not aware and you should be aware. It's it's good to be aware. There's no shoulds really, but waking up, waking up is what this whole thing's about, really. You know, exploring. We are explorers, actually. Mm-hmm. If we want to be, we're exploring the edges, you know, mm-hmm. and growing. It's you know, it's an exciting adventure. This being alive. If I'm safe and I'm supported. And my feelings, I know that I have a choice about how to use my energy. That there's something wonderful going on here, you know, and I can then operate from, I am innocent. I, I have good intentions. My intentions are pure. So if I make a mistake, I can correct it. Mm-hmm. If I'm walking around thinking I'm guilty, and I personally did, found out in my very first breath session, that I had been walking around for 32 years, 33 or something years, thinking that I had been serious, you know, had caused all of my mother's pain at my birth. I came out of that session weeping. I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. And it came from the center of my being. I was at that, I mean, I was a relatively successful designer. I had two children. I was a single mom. I, you know, I was a very empowered woman. Give me a breath. Mm. Underneath everything, I thought I was guilty. Innocence is, a, is the doorway that we have to go through to get to everything else, so. And I think the the other thing that you said there, empowerment is is something we will march cities and streets for, but we won't do it within ourselves, you know. And and, and it's the only way because empowerment comes from every society is made up of individuals. Our cultural norms must be softened. Our personal cultural norms must be softened. We must integrate safety. It's the key to health and well-being. Safety and innocence, I'm convinced of it. 
I think there's 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 a drive, there's a revolution almost in everything you're 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 talking about, and that you're calling for us to have a new and to be awakened to a new set of ways of living and experiencing this life that are different from what our environment dictates because nobody can escape any of the things that you've just mentioned nobody can escape pressure nobody everyone's just constantly coping and has coping mechanisms defense mechanisms that's how we're trained by the world we live in the society we live in but that does not have to be our own personal experience no it doesn't and that they can be two sets of rules which is really good to know because i don't think a lot of people know that <laughs> i think i think that you know the 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 statement being in this world and not of it is uh, a very you see i don't think that I, I i simply want to be at peace with myself and then that resonates around me and it does and then and then that causes an effect with the fact that people feel safe with me mm-hmm. safe innocent allows me to express myself and heaven knows what i'm going to say next you know <laughs> but i'm learning i'm listening to you know and you're alive you're alive um you know after meeting you and uh working with you and reading your work i decided to call this season the ecstatic season i love it i love it because that's what you bring to the world and um i would really like to talk about ecstatic birthing what the hell is ecstatic birthing <laughs> well i would like to bring in i i, I want to uh read something if i can find it um that i wrote about ecstasy because i found it today and i really 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 like it as a i'd just like to share it with you it's very quick it's this ecstasy in present time with no past or future no wrong or right no bad or good feeling all sensation without measure or label just right open to receive and give balanced one moment that is forever always now that's beautiful thank you for sharing that Thank ecstasy and ecstatic birth is um is not about the the absence of feeling you know i noticed many years ago that women went to birth preparation class because they wanted to learn how not to feel they wanted to learn how to have no pain and the truth is pain is resistance we do have you know there's a lot of pressure um birth is is intense no no more intense situation ever in life than giving birth and and it's just so absolutely wonderful that i that i'm a woman and i could feel that but and if i think it's going to hurt it will if i have a way of working with it for instance saying yes to all the sensations in my body the truth is when we say no the brain releases stress hormones just walking down the street you know no to when you if you say no to addiction no to you know you're going to no to starches no to you're setting up stress in your body if you say yes yes to a starch free week <laughs> endorphins are going to be released i mean they have just proven this which is amazing not just now but you know it has been proven so uh, many people call uh 
working with me and and uh, they have called births uh, yes births and as you say yes and if you have no other painkillers in your body your body generally will release all the painkillers that you need all the receptors are there to receive them and um, you can open and give birth in a transcendent. Also, one of the things that has been found about transcendence, interestingly enough, is being on the hands and knees or being on your knees or being in a squat. All of the ways that it is ideal for giving birth. Ecstasy is a transcendent event, really. You know, it's a non-ordinary state, for sure. But I think that more and more um, in life, as well as in birth, if we're open to saying yes to what's going on, if we are in a state of acceptance, compassion, choosing yes, flow can happen. The energies that are the right energies, the, the, the most appropriate energies, can move us forward. I love everything that you have just said. Um, and I love that there is the possibility of ecstasy at birth. And I understand conceptually and from my heart even that giving ourselves permission to feel safe and feel all our feelings can uh, transcend us into a higher state. However, however, there is another factor that I have not mentioned. What is that? (laughs) And that is the highest quality support. And that is what I think you did not have. And if I may just follow on from that, I, and it's a good point to do this because from my NCT group of women and also from speaking to uh, family friends who had babies, I can see and feel that the awareness and the desire to birth a child calmly and in, in, in um, a beautiful way, in a connected way, rings true with almost every woman. Every every mother wants to give that to her child. However, wants that, to give it to herself trustfully. <laughs> wants to give it to wow. herself. Yeah, and, that, and that's something we don't think of. We only think of what we, we can give the child. But it rarely turns into reality. So out of my NCT group, um, say there were 10 or 12 women, I think one woman had an ecstatic birth all the way. And she felt the connection with other women when she was, you know, finally. And other than that, everybody had quite uh, a difficult experience, either preeclampsia or tearing or uh, emergency C-section or sepsis, as in my case. But trauma seemed to be written into most, if not all, but stories. Um, and what you're calling for is something so different. It's revolutionary. And it has to take place in the individual before that birth, before that first real rush comes in. You know, we're experiencing, one of the things that I always tell the women that, that I work with, and you see, I think it takes time. I don't know, you know, I've, I've, walked in and um, supported a woman in the middle of labor and she had you know a transcendent experience because we really connected and she had been doing you know it's like I don't know but I know time is really important for human consciousness as I said earlier and to practice and for everyone it is different but that the the deepest places have got to be encountered and engaged with. And there has to be a safety with engaging there, no matter what. 
And I do know that what happened for you, you did that. Even in your darkest moments, you were, you were having conversations with your highest, highest self. And I wish you hadn't had to do that. I, I, I mean, I think it's dangerous to put oneself in the, the system personally. Mm. You have to be armed for bear if you are going to put yourself in the system. So that's why, I, I mean, I think you're just the most courageous being on the planet, you know. What was key from, from that um, answer of yours was support, was really having that high quality support. And what I found is I was very lucky in that the team around me were very good because I was very sick. And I could infect others. I had the best doctors, the best medicine. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, it's not that I'm um, being ungrateful, but at the same time, just measuring everything practically. But I think support for more women by training, say, midwives in ecstatic birth. Um, so they can have that conscious birth. And so they can... So people can be more encouraged to think in this way is what is key. And how that plays out with governments and budgets and money saving is yet another conversation. I mean, we could do an entire season on that, but it's, it's good to know. And it's good that you highlighted that support is so key. And from my experience and from people that have written in, I feel the pain and the suffering, the physical suffering and the trauma around the event activates part of your egos that somehow block off your flowing soulful energy. The protective ego keeps you from your love. It keeps you from experiencing your love and giving love. It keeps you from experiencing the love of the people around you. Protective ego, if I'm not safe, I don't know if it's me that's not or you're that's not. You that is, you know. If I think I've done something wrong, if there is something wrong, I'm guilty, I'm ashamed. It's so uncomfortable, I have to project it out and blame other people. You see, I, I, I think that everyone in the medical community that has created this, yes, I mean, Big Pharma, I mean, we can get into that for it, but they've all done it to make mother more comfortable, but they haven't made mother more comfortable. Yes, the intention is right. The intentions are good, but the, the outcome isn't. And now they don't even know Literally, they don't even know how to do it any differently. I mean, I have had, I've heard stories that just make my blood curdle. Friends of mine who had a home birth, a water birth, and quite wonderful here in England. But the doctor, when they, they went, she was 40 years old at the time, and it was her first baby. And the doctor said, you know, you'll die if you don't come into the hospital and have this baby. Now, I beg your pardon. That's a big imprint, you know, an authority. <laughs> oh, yeah. My writing partner had a breach delivery 17 years ago in Clapham Junction. She had a private midwife because she went, her, her baby, they found that she was breech and told her, you know, that she would have to have a cesarean section. And so being a really highly intelligent woman, she went off and did research. And she found that the Canadian study that is the basis for all the beliefs at this point, even to this day, that you have to have a cesarean with a breech birth, with a breech baby, that study is flawed. And Lynn found out, uh, you know, and, and so then she found a midwife who would support her. She has a quite a beautiful, intelligent, wonderful, very alive 
17-year-old daughter (laughs) who was born upstairs in their house in Clapham at the time. So I, uh, you know, there are many ways to do things, many, many different ways. And, you know, I have a sense about you, Serafina, that, you know, now that you've experienced this, you can do it another way. (laughs) Oh, my God. You think? You think? Oh, my God. I want to I wanna move on to the questions, but before I do that, there's this bit uh, on your website that I think is so relevant to bring up here. And it's this study you talk about that was published in England in May 2001 that showed only 7% of women have a normal uh, physiological birth. And... And, and and in your reaction to it, you say that isn't good enough and that yeah. these aren't assembly line products. And I completely agree with that. However, just the sheer amount of human beings that are giving birth on this, uh, on the NHS system is making it uh, like an assembly line. It is. And as a result of that, what you say about birth it seems to be true that every birth gives birth to more fear about birth. Because mm-hmm. when I when I got home, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm, am I ever going to do this again? What the hell was I thinking? What the hell was I?" Thinking? I I'm not surprised, and you are bright. I, you know, I consider myself relatively intelligent. You know, and when I made that statement in the car on the way home from my first birth. I truly meant it. My 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 boy's father was like a bit shocked. I was so passionate about it, you know. I said, "We know too much about ourselves. There has got to be a better way." Better way. Yeah. So hopefully, you are going to change that for the world, <laughs> darling. I've been working on it for a very long time. At least there are, and there are quite a lot of people who are, which is quite wonderful. Yes. So, well, that's. Good, because it gives me hope. Um, (laughs) I'm going to move on to our questions. So our first question is about preparation for the next birth after having had a traumatic one. The person asking the question um, said that they sort of developed preeclampsia, which was uh, not picked up on in time. And so they've had a horrendous birth experience and they don't trust any of the books or influencers or followers that they've been following or authors and they really want to know how to get it right the next time so yes that what would you say to that i would say that uh, i need to I, i would need to speak with her more in depth but that she needs to do some depth work in this moment, just that little snippet. Yeah. She sounds passionate about it. She sounds like she wants to do it again. That's um, that's a good beginning. I've often said that I actually trained for my orgasmic birth, like I was going to the Olympics. I did something every day. I worked on my breathing because I was doing classical Lamaze. I drove a hundred miles both ways for my birth preparation in Chicago. I was living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at the time. And so I, you know, I'd make this 200 mile trip eight or 10 times, I think. Every day I, I was thinking about it. I was reading something about it. Uh, I had to do all the research because my doctor, this is 50 years ago, my my doctor in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, didn't know. And there had been one book in English written about it, but I found some books at the library and I had some things translated. And so I took those things to my doctor. My doctor, my obstetrician gynecologist, was very sweet. He ended up being the go-to guy for, you know, birth, for, for having uh, Lamaz deliveries, and uh, because he really he learned all about it. Me okay. anyway, my doctor 
moved. I mean, he literally stood back and watched uh, my partner and me, my husband and I, do the birth. And at one point, he came because classical Lamaze training is uh, is like a lot of physiology, a lot of pictures, a lot of breathing. And uh, he came and he said, I'd really like to check you. Is that okay? Because he didn't quite, you know. And I said, well, I think I'm about, I, I, took, a, I took some deep breaths and finished a contraction. And I looked at him and I said, I think I'm about eight centimeters because I had a vision. And I knew what eight centimeters looked like. Uh, and with my eyes closed, you know, I thought, and he, he, he really, he was so startled. He looked at my husband first. He didn't look, yeah. He looked at my husband and then he looked at me and he said, you're eight centimeters dilated. I said, yeah, and transitions coming on. And at that point, I had about a half an hour contraction and the baby. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. But anyway, it was uh, and an orgasm. So, wow. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to believe, honestly. And um, no, I, I know it is. It made my mother very angry. Did it? She didn't. She didn't express her anger. I mean, she didn't. But you could tell it was underneath. It was like and she kept saying, Are you, is that really true? You know, and and uh, I'd say yes, it's really true. <laughs> it's like that it was like that, you know. But I kind of betrayed the sisterhood, you know, because I was walking around going, "Oh my God, that was amazing!" Wow, <laughs> you're not supposed to do that. No, you're not, <laughs> because I mean, people. I think women are generally very happy for each other when they hear that you know, the birth has gone well because, because they didn't have a good birth themselves. And I think what the mindset now is that I'm going to do my best for nine months and then whatever happens in that hospital happens. But when I come out, I'm again going to do my best. However, there's a giant thing that happens in there to us and our hormones and our bodies and our consciousness and all of that that needs to be just discussed more so that the right choices can be put into place. And I think the other, the other uh, question or the other aspect of the whole birthing process for people who are coupled or have a birthing partner as a partner in life as well, is that you have to have the partner on board. They have to be able to understand. I've always worked with both the father and in my original conscious birthing program the husbands came if they were welcome the thing is is that it happened on a wednesday morning and uh, there were a lot of people who were in the in the movie business and things and, and but and but i mean there was one father who came every wednesday and he owned a garage that you know put cars back together or something i mean you know he was like a mechanic and he he came every time. And then I had a Friday evening yoga and group breathe they could come to. And the fathers always came to that. But I want the fathers engaged mm. uh, and knowing what's going on because ecstasy is not a f just exclusively for females, you know. Mm -hmm. And one moment, literally one moment, of ecstasy can transform your life. I mean, and I've, I've experienced it and had people experience it in breath sessions with me. So to the woman who had preeclampsia, who wants to know what to do differently, for sure she needs to prepare in a way that's appropriate for her. And I could support her with that and, and would speak with her about that. But you don't just... Yeah, there's not a magic pill. No, no. And I think the thing, the, the thing that's so uh, important to understand from what you're trying to do is that couples need to understand that birth of a child is, is such an opportunity. It's an opportunity to 
evolve as a being yourself, as a couple, as a family, as a set of human beings, you know, and then the ripple effect from that is tremendous. My darling, that's what this is, this, this work that you're doing is all about. I think you are, when you say, date your ego, marry your soul, you are calling for people to evolve. Absolutely. You are making a call for evolution, conscious evolution. And this is something I've been talking about for a very long time. If you birth consciously, if you birth with, with clarity about what's really going on, and you dig deep and acknowledge and face everything that is going on, you consciously evolve yourself. You cannot help but move and grow. What's the next question? There was, some, there was another question. Well, it very, very beautifully leads on to the next question. And I, I'm going to read it as I've written it because it's important. I have had the good fortune to be your student. And one of the gateways to my own empowerment as a woman, as a human being, as a conscious being, was your constant reminder to use the word yet. And I call it and I think of it as the Binny yes. Binny A dances yes. And if there's one thing I want to share with listeners is its power and significance. So in your own words, what is Binny A dances yes? What is it? It's being willing to say yes to everything. No matter what. Because the moment, as I said earlier, the moment you say yes, endorphins are released. In that moment, things open, okay? It, may, it actually, yes, makes me smile, especially if I say yes in the most intense and uh, apparently difficult situations. It always makes me, you know, kind of giggle on the inner, you know, what are you doing? You know, yes, this is happening. And then a solution comes. And then I know exactly what to do. Now, I have have had people in my trainings over the years have yes days. Mm -hmm. You do not tell some, you don't tell anybody. There have been quite a few women and men who have said their partners loved their yes day. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say. But, and uh, it's a great practice. You know, I'm very, very much an advocate of practice or of what the Buddhists call practice of consistent there again there's that word consistency and the more you say yes the more you find out what fun it is to say yes yes to yourself Mm -hmm. and 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 the thing is that what people don't realize is we all have a practice already we all have a practice of saying no or, or being fearful or being well prepared or making sure nothing goes wrong and I am set and he is in my control. All of those practices are to keep us safe. Yeah. When the truth is behind that, we are safe. I had a lovely woman breathe with me yesterday who went away and uh, made a video for her Facebook group. She has a large group of people, and uh, she said, I relaxed at a deeper level than I ever knew was possible. And she said, and I came away realizing that my jaw had relaxed. Now, that's really interesting because a relaxed jaw is one of the things that I advocate for a woman giving birth or for anyone as above so below and so the pelvis and the jaw are directly connected 
The jaw is the most powerful joint in the body. If it's tight, everything in your body will be tight in, you know, in small ways. So relax your shoulders, relax your jaw. A little tip for relaxation (laughs) along the way. But yes, yes opens. No closes. Hmm. And you're also all about saying yes to the negative, to the pain, to the, to, because there, because then you find that actually there is no negative. It's just life experience. It's just. Darling, you see, we're naming negative. Pain is a communication. Yes, you're so right. Yeah. And if you breathe, say yes, and you make room for the pain. If you make room for the discomfort, and, you know, if you're pregnant, practice with anything, you know, with the pain in your leg or, uh, you know, some discomfort in your back, take some deep breaths and just focus attention on it. Send the breath there and imagine making room for it. Instead of going no, 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 and contracting, which will make it worse, make room for it so it can move and grow. It might intensify, but then it will change. Because sensations in the body are like the weather. They're always changing. I love that. They truly always are changing. I mean, when I learned that a contraction is almost never longer than a minute, I thought I can do anything for a minute. Mm. There's just awareness, waking up to possibilities. Waking up to possibilities. And really, for anyone listening who's then, who's obviously quite moved by everything we've talked of and is thinking, oh, but there must be a price, I uh, would encourage you to think about spending less on a pram and doing this it's going to benefit you so much more <laughs> you know prams cost about 2000 pounds these days that's so, just amazing isn't it benny can i ask where can our audience reach you to learn more about source breath work and ecstatic birthing that um you can always email me I'm very uh, available and um I also want to, I, I really, 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 really want to throw in a, um, I've got to throw in a commercial here for a project, an art project, an amazing art project called zero two expo.com. Okay. And it is based on a government initiative and a major show about the first 1,001 days. And there is a group of scientists and artists who have contributed writings, paintings, and uh, a former student of mine, now a colleague, Alex Florschutz, has created an exhibition that and it's an art installation of 18 large panels informing people about the impact of birth, about the importance of those first 1,001 days on the baby's brain, its psyche, and it's all about birthing a better future. And I'm, I'm, so thrilled she came to a class that I taught this weekend and talked about the project. She brought a couple of the panels and one of her favorite paintings of mine is on the one that has my writing on it. I'm very thrilled about that. The website is zero two zero the word to the number expo and um 
She's crowdfunding because she spent the last three years of her life doing this. She's an artist. She's a magnificent artist. She's also written a book called The Art of Birth. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm really encouraging people. They're going to be at the Brighton Festival. Oh, wow. And I'm going to be at the Brighton Festival on the Easter Monday. I'm going to be with that exhibition. So if there's anyone listening who is in that area that day, come and see me. Oh, wow. This is great. I'm so glad you um, mentioned this. My God, this is going to be fascinating. I'm in Dover, but if I wasn't, I would be there. I would change. Well, and I will send you, Serafina, the the um, her letter and with with all the because you can see all the panels. You can read. There's just magnificent writing and information about this crucial time from conception to two. Mm. That's so exciting! Wow. It's great. It's and why not always um, start at the beginning? You know, <laughs> why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is amazing. You're such a joy, and you know, such a source of wisdom and strength. Thank you so much for what you do, Benny. Thank you. You're welcome. You are so welcome. And my my. Email is binnyad at gmail.com. Okay. And my website, and you can get in touch with me through the website. All right. Well, I'm going to say goodbye and leave it there. Thank you so much again. Oh, warm hugs to everybody. That was Binny Dansby. What an empowering start to season three. We couldn't have had it better. A simple message with far-reaching effects. Conscious breathing, conscious birthing, conscious life, conscious planet. It is that simple. I leave you with this thought today. Could the way you breathe or the way you hold your jaw change the way you feel and change your day, make you happier? I think it could. So. Whatever else you do today, make a choice and make it to breathe consciously. And once you've had the opportunity to breathe 10 or 20 conscious breaths, if something comes up, a thought, a negative belief, even just curiosity about breathing, look up Benny and email her. She's all yours, as you heard. Just another way for you to date your ego but marry your soul. This is your host, Serafina, leaving you with a little more love for life.